0: Right, you're listening to Film Graves, I'm Emmett, I'm Sam, we're both from Phil Graves and we're going to be talking about film, new releases and highlights of Repertory Cinema both in London and on the internet. Right, well we're going to start
1: by talking about Vox Lux, the um, Brady Corbett's second feature Mm. uh, after Childhood of a Leader a couple of years ago, movie film of the week, so... We got to see it in the B G Cinema, uh,
0: gratis.
1: Yeah. What did you uh, What did you think of Box
0: Lux? It's a hard film to approach because I feel everyone I know who's seen it has a completely different take on it, which is a great thing. Uh, yeah, I think it's been it has been pretty
1: divisive. Yes. And not just because it's controversial thematically
0: potentially, well, but for... because of its stylistic elements. I mean, have you ever seen a film before where 9 11 happens, and then Willem Dafoe says on the soundtrack, and that was when both her and her nation lost their innocence. No, yeah,
1: it yeah, yeah. yeah. Doesn't actually happen. Shout out, Willem Dafoe. For sure, you
0: sparingly, jarringly, um, arbitrarily. I'm trying to think what he's specifically trying to do by having a narrator for that kind of film. I guess it's just to get across the more sort of hard to communicate messages like a like a footnote okay there's narration at the start yeah right um
1: there's narration right at the end (laughs) i don't actually remember much in between so i guess it's not structurally that arbitrary but if there are these little footnotes as you call them
0: throughout the film that i have sort of blanked out it's the voice of brady himself i don't know the film is about a little girl goes to school one day and her whole class gets shot up in a massacre by a psycho kid. It's really nasty and a really well-directed opening scene, I thought. Very intense. This girl gets shot in the throat and then her sister writes a song for her to sing (laughs) that really captures
1: the nation. Yeah, as she's recovering in her hospital bed, she sort of clutches this keyboard
0: writes a number, number one record.
1: Well there's well, sort of a, Yeah. <laughs>
0: does she write it? I, I don't know. No, it's not she really does it's not made clear. I mean she goes off to work with songwriters like pretty soon afterward. For sure. But there is But then at well I don't know.
1: This is not a spoiler free zone, unfortunately. Interpretation, you know. <laughs> at the end, reference is made to the fact that her sister's apparently written all of her songs, yeah. all of her hits yeah. and she's sort of stolen her maybe that's not stolen but you know she's like piggybacked off her sister's like creative output and been like the sort of public face
0: of it i don't know anyway there's not again really that explored they just kind of plant a seed for you to think about it another seed is that she sold her soul to the devil in a robert johnson style yeah a robert johnson you know (laughs) which is
1: only made apparent at the very end yeah
0: to write through uh, Willem Dafoe narration. I mean, what would the film be without his narration, though? I think the narrator provided some of the most sensational moments. I have mixed feelings about narration
1: in general. Mm. Rightly so. For its questionable expositional function, basically. And in this instance, I felt like that was very apparent.
0: There it seemed... It could have been a classic, like, you need to put a narrator on this to explain it. And then it's like, all right, I'm going to get Willem Defoe to do it. Uh. There's the whole
1: show, don't tell thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're not shown that she's sold her soul to the
0: devil. <laughs> Sadly.
1: But we are told it. If, he, if my man really
0: wanted to make a Lars von Trier film, he would have shown that shit. <laughs> <laughs> she goes off to work with, like, you know, superstar Swedish pop songwriters. And... Has a huge pop career, a epoch-defining artist. It's a three-part
1: film struct- okay, Structurally, yeah. there there are three acts in this film. Mm. The first being her youth until she becomes an adult, basically. Yeah. Then her, uh, you know, a big jump forward to Day when she's, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, where young Natalie Port that oh, I don't know her name,
0: um, Raffi Cassidy, Sorry. plays the. She's in. Killing of a Sacred Deer. Oh. Wow. Yeah, Yeah. I didn't even call that. True stories.
1: Yeah. Well, she's, yeah, she's, I mean, she's great in it. Everyone says,
0: everyone, Um, yeah,
1: a lot of people said she's their favourite performance in the film. I really beg to differ. Natalie Portman, you know, she's not in the first half of the film, pretty much, Mm. because these aren't equally weighted acts. So she turns up, uh,
0: let's discuss Natalie Portman's performance (laughs) then. I thought she killed it, you know, I think, I mean, it's obviously a very mannered performance in a way. Mannered, yeah. I mean, what did you compare it to? (laughs) Uh, I mean, the fucking, um... The SNL sketch. Stop my... (laughs) Yeah, exactly, the Natalie Portman rapping, that's from like 14 years ago, and here she is doing that again, killing it. It was quite, you know, (laughs) the structure of the film of just people aggravating her in different ways, but she she's just out
1: here. Yeah, I really found it. I, I struggled to reconcile the characters in the first and second act
0: okay, of, yeah.
1: of the, the main characters, yeah. Celeste. Uh, That's good I idea. Natalie Portman comes through with this wild performance, <clears> yeah. Very, i say, mannered. She's got this sort of Chicago-y accent <laughs> going on. And I, yeah, I just struggled to reconcile this with the performance of
0: the character as a child. The young, the young girl. But this is, you know, and then she becomes someone who's been... No, but she it, gets it, shot in the throat and then she gets on hella drugs. Yeah, I mean, clearly overburdened.
1: She's meant mm. to be, like, a troubled mm. character in mm. her in her adulthood. But... It is extreme. I know, I know they don't set up her character as having, like, a philosophy or real outlook <laughs> in <laughs> the beginning of the film, right? Of, like, how are you going to do that, yeah. really, in this whole film. But her attitude... I know everyone's a you know product of their environment,
0: mm-hmm. as it, but I don't know. I just really struggled to. Definitely found the second half of the film super entertaining, though for the most part, maybe because it didn't have yes. any of the mu- any music in it. All right, should we talk about the music? Yeah. Okay. In the, yeah. in the you know the dream collab, Scott Walker <laughs> and Sia worked on the Scott Walker did the score. And Sia did these these tunes that Celeste sold her soul to the devil for.
1: Yeah, and, while well, these songs are withheld from the audience mm. until mm. the sort of denouement of the film, this uh, concert scene. The payoff. Act three, the payoff, yeah. And how long is the sequence? 20 minutes? Okay, yeah, 25 minutes? 20 minutes, I'd say. And, you know, hit after hit. It is, uh, the songs are abridged as we yeah, as yeah, we see yeah, them, sure. but it is fundamentally an unabridged concert sequence mm-hmm. of her on stage, you know, doing this choreography, bit of crowd shots. Yeah. I don't know.
0: And it's people, a long fucking sequence. The people are you know? loving it. I'm interested in how they filmed it, to be honest. Did they do it at someone else's concert and made them listen to half an hour of Vox Lux tunes? <laughs> I don't know whose concert it would have been. But it is the thing, because Sia, you know, Sia's music is for the last few years has been like on the radio, and has she's written songs for other people, so it has kind of influenced what pop sounds like, and it's a lot of kind of. I mean, I think it's fair to say that we both kind of loathe the style of music that she's yeah yeah (laughs) or like this kind of contemporary. The issue I had with the end
1: of the film though wasn't even the the music, Mm. which I did find grating and trivial, but I just didn't understand what.
0: You didn't what un- is happening at the end of the film? You didn't understand, and I tried it my way. Epic fail. Save me from myself. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't understand. I let one tear fall, and I crumble like the Berlin Wall.
1: Is the end of the film meant to be a triumph? You said that in the screening you went to, at the end, <sighs> everyone
0: cracked up. It was sensational. I've never had that before. I mean, this is, again, one of the many, many bold artistic choices that Brady Corbett does for better or worse, is have the silent credits, which is kind of maybe a nice respite after 20 minutes of these tunes, but complete silence over the, the closing credits. I wasn't the first one, but at the screening I went to, it's kind of probably about 40 people there, all <laughs> spread out quite far, and then you just hear, like, little titters, like, tss, and then, like, someone else would go, <laughs> and then I would, like, turn to, turn to Steph, I like, <laughs> and then, like, Felt very relieving, everyone was kind of laughing because it's such a serious, serious. I mean, it's a film about like 9 11, about like you know, drugs, like about modern culture, America in the 21st century. You think people were laughing as some sort of cathartic act, Um, or because they've actually found it funny? Well, a bit of both. A bit of both. both? I think that's kind of how I found it. I found it funny. I find it implicitly humorous that someone would try and make a film like that anyway. All right, there's another element of the film that we haven't really touched upon. Mm.
1: Um, it's the representation of sort of gun culture mm. in America and, mm. and you know, mm. the relationship between violence and culture like more broadly, mm-hmm. um, because there is a sort of international ele- element mm. to the plot as far as that goes. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Are they... I mean,
0: I don't want to just reel off the plot. Because, because her career is born from... A Columbine-style massacre, and then she finds out she's pregnant on 9/11. Is that is that it? Is that what happened? Or does she have a number one record on 9/11? Something through in with 9/11. This
1: is during her,
0: you know, as her career starts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time yeah time, right. You Which know. starts coinciding with her becoming, you know, becoming a mother. Should have made her this, daughter this born on 9/11. That's what they really. <laughs> that's what they should have done. It's about national trauma. But it's not as good as that bit in. Pop star never stop, never stopping when he sings the "We Fucked Bin Laden" song. That's a far more succinct think, expression of how America's collective trauma. I don't know. To fucking read some Jay Hoffman or something.
1: When okay in act in act two then <laughs> mm. it's adult. You know, it's the adult pop star. Uh, an act of violence happens in you know some Soviet successor state. Oh yeah. Uh,
0: this is how it opens, yeah. Um,
1: and she says, it, "It's it's associated with her because they're wearing masks that she wears in, right. in one of in her music videos." So there's a sort of PR crisis where mm-hmm. she, you know, she has to have a press conference, um, sort of confront her apparent association with this act of violence, mm-hmm. right? And we're talking about a, po- a pop star whose career is born. Of a, of an act of violence, she becomes a celebrity um, after performing. I mean, at, she got shot her, in the neck in the <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then at the sort of memorial service afterwards, she performs a song and her yeah. career takes off. So later in the film, when this act of violence is somehow, you know, potentially associated with her, mm. um, she says, she gets rolled up in a press conference, says, "Oh, you know, they can come to, you know, come at, come at me, bro, <laughs> like." Come to my concert tonight. Yeah. Right, right. yeah, okay. And yeah. then there's a twenty minute sequence <sighs> of the concert, right? Oh okay. I don't know if Brady Corbett is familiar with um, you know, the Well or, or whatever. Well, no, I'm sure well, who knows? We'll get to Got Brady Corbett's storytelling acumen <laughs> later. But I don't know if he's familiar with, you know when was it? Twenty seventeen, the sort of oh, Manchester. Yeah. Grand yeah.
0: Wow, okay, yeah, fair okay. enough.
1: Right. Yeah. Um. You know, this pop pop concert where you know the sort of clash of cultures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, okay. apparently was brought to bear. Yeah. yeah I
0: okay. don't know.
1: I found the end of the film a really weird bait
0: and switch, basically. Because you are expecting the, there to be.
1: Yeah, not, the not want there to be a terrorist attack <laughs> at the end of this film, but he's flirting with this subject matter. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then at the end, is this a sort of
0: triumphal march that she's performing on stage? Is, well, it's is same... she, like... It was the same as the brass documentary for me, though, you know, where, like... But what I really valued about the film was how... And this is what Steph, my girlfriend, I don't want to misrepresent her words, but she said this much more eloquently than I did. She really loved it and thought it was pretty much an exercise in irony and I think much like the bros which you guys should all watch because beautiful film when you do have this cathartic moment of like awful banal pop music after like a whole film of like these like really really exaggerated personas superstars you know and then it's more about what it means to the fans and what it means to mass culture in general And the songs can be awful. Steph, you know, thought it was brilliant for the tunes being bad, the characters being outrageous, the film being, like, aesthetically outrageous, and being a kind of condemnation, much like the square is of, like, modern art or whatever.
1: But I I guess... Okay,
0: I didn't feel like it was anywhere
1: near critical enough of the pop culture that it was apparently trying to lambast or satirise. I didn't think it was a satirical film
0: at all. If you go along with that... You know, if it, if, if you, you read if you do, it as if an you do read exercise it as in you, irony, right? Then it's like a ten out of ten classic or whatever. But then I didn't even fully come down that because I didn't one hundred percent enjoy watching the film. It reminded me of a lot of films I don't like,
1: uh, such as uh, Birdman. A.
0: okay, it's films with uh, a yeah. aesthetic
1: not gimmicky. I mean, I
0: love, gimmicky. I love Los <laughs> and we can get onto this more when we talk about Childhood of a Leader and what. Really cool bits like Aesthetic Project is, but or Cosmopolis by Cronenberg. Just these films that like grasp at like true profundity. And even <laughs> in a late capitalist society, <laughs> and it's very superficial and of limited, you know. That's ridiculous. the fucking point, bro. <laughs> I don't know. Should we go on? Leader? Yeah, Leder? let's go on. To Childhood Leader. You watched it recently, right? Did yeah. you watch it after watching Vox? Love? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And I was really excited to watch
1: it. It was one of those films where... Um,
0: At the time I remember, when it came out, it looked...
1: Hmm. Yeah, I was really hyped about it. I remember watching the trailer, you know, a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, reading about it even before then. Mm-hmm. It looked like a really interesting film. And, you know, it, it is an int- <laughs> It is, It is. It's you an know, interesting film. It's, a, it's something we all learn about in, the hit, <clears throat> you know, the Treaty of Versailles. Yeah, and, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, that's yeah. sort of broader political legacy... And you know, it's not something that's often explored through the lens of sort of chamber drama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, maybe it is,
1: but I'm not really.
0: The rules <laughs> of the game. Is that, yeah.
1: Okay. I guess. Or, well,
0: we'll get to. Yeah. This yeah. We're gonna region. get onto this. Either way, it's a very bold statement to make for your debut. Future is trying to make a film about yeah, the genesis of fascism. Or...
1: Again, it's yeah. It's Prototype a story. Game. It's a story of the the kid of peacekeeping committee member. Mm-hmm. Um, who you know?
0: The story is in told. a nondescript European state. Yes, of course. It's again, a prequel to again. The Great Dictator. Okay. The <laughs> Soup, again, like a uh,
1: Vox Lux, it has this sort of title card structuring sequence rather yeah. than acts. Though it's tantrums.
0: The thing which I I always say, like, oh I'd love it if, like, in the old films, they did like opening titles where you get all the credits before. Films, but I guess by virtue of just like union rules and like how many people it's necessary to involve in making a film in the 21st century, it's just impossible. But Brady Corbett fucking does it in his debut feature, you get the yeah. opening titles. And even though I say I want it, I don't actually want it because it's just fucking long, <laughs>
1: but it's over, you know. The again, Scott the the God. Tarkovsky trademark floor pan, yeah, shot, yeah, 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 yeah. Of <laughs> so, yeah. you
0: know. Okay. Oh Pat. You're in my house, we stand a king in this house, it's got Robert Pattinson in it first and foremost. In a dual, dual role. It's the kid just yeah. Who's gonna grow up to be a dictator? While out and while his parents have some pretty interesting discussions <laughs> um, And he's kinda like Barry Lyndon and it's kinda like the others.
1: Yeah again stylistically <laughs> you have to com- you have to commend
0: Brady Corbett. He goes hard.
1: Like, it is a good it is a good film. Yeah. However maybe it was over maybe it's the, just it's over ambitious. Yeah
0: yeah yeah. It's uh, it certainly um, is over ambitious.
1: Again like Vox Lux it left me unsatisfied maybe mm. because of how it's structured mm. or I well this is maybe where I wanted to talk about how he tells stories, right? Yeah. I don't mind non—I mean, they, they are linear stories, but un, more unconventional narrative approaches, mm-hmm. using sort of snapshots to build up a broader picture. I just don't feel like in either film he achieves that to a satisfactory level.
0: I, I think, think his um, I agree. The
1: jumps—you have to take a lot for granted. Mm. You have to. I guess you just have to really buy into the transitions that he presupposes of his characters. Mm -hmm.
0: Maybe you need to have the the half-hour conversation with Brady Corbett after the film. I think his his primary role, right, and if you compare him to other actors who, like, make films, is uh, Ryan Gosling's, is it called Dark River? Which, again, very Kubrick-influenced, very, like, aesthetically bold, although really not my thing and he's just ripping off a bunch of great art house filmmakers and it's really incomprehensible and I think compared to that Brady Corbett is absolutely murking it to be honest I think these films are a lot easier to watch than Dark River I think with Childhood of a Leader and with Vox Lux he's really paying homage to Hanukkah both in that shot that opens the second act in Vox Lux where it's shot on like a it's a one of like a massacre shot on like a phone or something. Mm. Very Hanukkah esque, Childhood of a Leader again. If you've seen The White Ribbon, coming on movie on Friday, I believe. Yeah. So the Can season. Yeah. The White Ribbon has pretty much the same premise as Childhood of a Leader, but it's about like the generation as opposed to the man Fair. himself or whatever. And it's an absolutely brilliant film, and it's in black and white. Like I know Brady Corbett would love yeah, to do a black he, and white yeah, film. Oh my god! <laughs> film free. untitled project, untitled black and white project. <laughs> I'm just going to say shout out Brady Corbett because he's really trying hard and I commend that even if I don't really like the films that much. I like Vox Lux more than Childhood of a Leader.
1: Yeah, I would express the same sentiment. I do admire him for being committed to making these sorts of films.
0: Mm.
1: I don't think he's quite hit the nail
0: on the head just yet. So and unlucky. I'm sure, I'm sure, you know... He's going to make a Joan of Arc film next, I bet. He's watch, <laughs> watch. No, he's going to remake The Sacrifice. Segway. You're still listening to Film Grays with Emma and Sam from Phil Graves. We killed it this week, didn't we, with the back-to-back rep screenings. Yeah, close we...
1: up film centre and uh, BFI. Yes,
0: wherever you're listening from in the world, we are sadly members of the Liberal Metropolitan Elite. This is a London-based podcast that's <laughs> being recorded in Kentish Town, Melt capital, new Labour capital. But as a result, we do get to take advantage of all these rep cinemas, which is great. We've got The Close-Up and The BFI, and we went Monday and Tuesday last week. The Close-Up, right now, as we're speaking, The Close-Up, are screening, Nostalgia. Yeah, I haven't so, seen it. I, I rate these shame. Monday afternoon Tarkovsky screenings we Um, saw uh, yeah the mirror which you'd seen in cinema as even no I just we I just seen it at home with my mum before I really binged on well it's not that much to binge on but they're very compelling films you can watch them again and again Mm. I went in on Tarkovsky recently I love him I would even I could say he's the goat you know I could say it I could say it but it's only the first podcast so you know Uh, maybe an unfounded remark but it was great yeah. I, I mean, I hadn't seen it before. Andre Tarkovsky's maybe most impenetrable, most poetic, super dreamy,
1: most beautiful. Um,
0: yeah. So,
1: autobiographical film. Yeah, it's, I mean, he sort of interrogates his relationship with his
0: mother. It was great to see it. We were sitting in the front row, which is definitely <laughs> the motive. Yeah. I also sat in the front row when I saw High Life this week. Front row settings from now on, I think. Mm. I like the close up screen as well. Good on them for doing this. Yeah, it was called cool. the first time I've been there
1: and uh, the library looks savage. Jeez. as well. Um I don't. is there much what can we even say about Emir
0: Man? <laughs> it's a it's a beautiful film. Yeah, I mean it's, it's full of images. Very starring. <laughs> it's a beautiful film full of images. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean it has a non conventional approach to narrative. It's very fragmented. For sure. I wouldn't describe it as vignettes as much as sort of over overlapping
0: yeah is him is him trying to say his shit this was only his his third film right or his fourth i'm not not sure either his third or fourth film in which i mean Um, childhood rublev this maybe, and then i think it's this or solaris and then this but whatever either way very early for someone to be making a kind of film this is the kind of film that people make in their like 90s you know this is like yeah he's like recalling his mother and like the, what she was doing growing up you know he grew up in World War One, World War Two. <laughs> yeah I mean he his wartime like, childhood um, memory <laughs> 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 no I
1: mean it, it, I guess over the 40s he, he hmm. would have still been like a, a kid yeah right
0: and okay. then yeah. he starts making these films in the early 60s I guess yeah, um,
1: yeah it was so great, similar it was to
0: Ivan's childhood his first film is about a kid growing up in the war Yeah. But it's a world away from that. Apart from the Ivan's childhood apple cart sequence. It's like a whole film of that, basically. (laughs) In a way. There's a lot of his dad's poetry in the film as voiceovers. Great. Yeah, I. Him reading E. Tarkovsky's. I
1: I think that it's different from a normal expositional narration insofar as these poems are abstract expressionism, basically. Well, yeah.
0: You know, they're not surrealist, but they're. They suit the mood of the <laughs> film. And it's funny for a film where he's talking about how absent his dad is for the whole film. Mm. Uh, but his dad yeah, is present definitely. just through his poetry, just through his work. The, the end bit, right, When <laughs> spoiler alert, when the actress who plays both his wife and his mum is basically for the whole film, he sees a woman pl- who plays his wife in the present day sequences also plays his mum. And then, right <laughs> here, <laughs> it, yeah. and then right at the end you see, you know, his mum turns around and it's actually his mum. It's like an old woman or whatever.
1: Yeah, the, uh, the, the final sequence is sort of where it really does overlap all these sort of memories. It's like and like Inception, images. man. It's super painterly and
0: mm. um, po- poetical.
1: Yeah. Andre. Sh- should we talk about The Last Laugh?
0: Yeah. It was my last laugh. It was my last night as an under-26-year-old. The £3 for under-20... Any listeners under 26, you got to go rinse this shit like I did. £3 for any film. Went hundreds of times. Changed my life. Made living in London a lot less dead. Long gone now. F.W. Murnau's classic film. Yeah, about a
1: a proud hotel porter
0: who... Has a nice coat. Yeah, for sure.
1: (laughs) Expresses his... (laughs) (laughs) Right. <laughs> through um through his sort of pseudo military regalia yeah. gets demoted to the because lowly, he's the
0: oldest person at the
1: for sure the weimar act of charity is to demote the mm-hmm. elderly to the role of a
0: washroom assistant which arguably is dealing, a more demanding job yeah and yeah him dealing no. with that i mean it's a really raw film <laughs> like very cruel I should say It's, you know, the style of film. There's no intertitles. And it was kind of the birth of the moving camera, the unchained camera. Yes, it was absolutely the first one. Carl Freund, cinematographer. (laughs) And he was cycling around the set. The first shot, which I actually missed because I was a bit late. He had the camera on his chest, reeling the camera with his hands and cycling into the doorway. That was the first moving camera. And, you know, it's crude in a way, but I think a lot of the moving camera... Experiments are used in, like, the drunk sequence, which is super
1: yeah. wavy. Um, he gets drunk, and there's a really great dream sequence, very, like, hallucinogenic, yeah. which obviously deploys a lot of sort of fun cinematographic <laughs> techniques. Form and content. Um, yeah, that's probably the most striking sequence. Mm. Although, obviously, throughout, it's just a really visually beautiful film yeah
0: and you know we should say this is part of the BFI Weimar Germany season where you get to watch expressionist silent and non-silent classics you've got the silent ones though
1: yeah the screening of the last laugh that we went to had a live accompaniment by um a pianist who did a really amazing job it really enriches seeing these these films which obviously would have had a live soundtrack with with the Love for sure. Yeah, this was like just really, straightforward,
0: probably quite true to how it would have been
1: yeah, 95 it, years ago. Yeah,
0: I think it relates to um, a, a
1: score arrangement from like a decade ago or something exactly like that, like 2003. But I don't know the extent to which that used the original score it might have just been that sort of reconstruction of that score
0: mm-hmm. the greed one was crazy though
1: yeah the guy was playing like the accordion and the
0: flute and the piano yeah. like all at the same For the time bit when it was, there was the it was dental so operation sick. he was like not playing <laughs> any notes on the accordion just like breathing it you know just going <clears throat> this bfi season has a lot more fucking bangers as well this month they got dr mabuse the gambler by fritz lang dr mabuse the gambler as i say is five hours long but you should go see it On the 25th of May, in the big screen. Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, very classic. The Oyster Princess, I just got that on DVD. Nice. Next month, they got People on Sunday, they got M, they got more bangers for you, and a lot more ones that I haven't seen, so I don't feel justified in recommending them to you, but I'm sure they're definitely worth seeing. Hence my silence. Um. <laughs> Much like the films. <laughs> Your Talk. facial expression says everything. If <laughs> you're still listening to Film Greys, go see some Tarkovsky films at Close Ups Film Centre and go see Heller Weimar Classics at the BFI.
1: So, there's this Kubrick season going on at the moment at BFI, and there are a lot of his films on BBC iPlayer as well, for example.
0: Barry Um, Lyndon and 2001, I believe, are free to stream if you pay your TV licence.
1: I'm sure you can find a way otherwise. We went to the Kubrick exhibition. Yeah? Yeah.
0: The Uh, Design Museum.
1: The Design Museum, uh, which was super interesting. Yeah. I mean, it just sort of guides you through his process as a filmmaker um, and sort of profiles his films as well.
0: Hmm. Largely drawn from the Kubrick archives at the LCC, which were available, but they put it out nicely. Did all the, spent all the hours setting it out that I could never be bothered to do by just going to find (laughs) it out.
1: Um, (coughs) Yeah, loads of interesting ephemera, costumes. The most interesting stuff was probably the letters. Yeah, um, fair. yeah, from sort of disgruntled <laughs> patrons of his films, uh, You know, Doug Strange Love and um, Lolita mm. and Clockwork Orange.
0: Um, A film so sensational he banned it himself. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you walk in, and the first room is just about how hard Kubrick went and had all like the.
1: Yeah, I mean, these shooting
0: schedules are <gasps> incredibly the, meticulous. I read the teen list for Napoleon, his oft-touted but never fully realised cinematic work. That film had, like, five Orgy sequences in it, so, you
1: know... <laughs>
0: expanded upon Gaunt's in such a way as to make it a proper late Kubrick film. Loads of stuff, though. Type, yeah, typewriters. So
1: much, so much shit. Huge fucking camera lenses. Mm. But it's sort of
0: pricey. I liked how... You walk through it in non-chronological order after you go through the first room. Yeah, it just... was a strange. But they basically save the best till last. I yeah, mean, they skip ahead. Um, space Odyssey at the end. Yeah, it's,
1: a, it's the biggest, which is a huge
0: room. Yeah,
1: space. I was just going to say the concepts work throughout. You know, the saw these saw Bass. Um,
0: yeah, of course.
1: Designs and storyboards. Pre-production. Um, I want to say like Ken Adams or something. Yeah, like I think that. I think that is literally um, it
0: he's um, <laughs> <laughs> Ken Adams.
1: Yeah, really well. If you're interested in the yeah. film production process, it's worth checking
0: out. For sure. I mean, this guy was... He set the precedent in terms of pre-production. I think, obviously, this is the least exclusive thing and the thing I didn't have to pay for, but I really appreciated how they actually screened all the films as you walked through the exhibition. So you could go yes, and sit and watch what the real art is.
1: It also made it a bit more yeah. like PG.
0: Well, they didn't in have... That,
1: so you could just be walking through and hear like an expletive ridden sequence from Full Metal Jacket yeah. um, It was good though, uh, I think
0: Yeah, I like that I think I've been to these uh, kind yeah, of it, exhibitions it before And wished I could have like had access to the film more yeah, directly For sure Sorry to our mate Francis who we, would, we spent about an hour and a half longer than he did in the exhibition <laughs> So sorry bro But Fuck. it was nice to hang out with you anyway You're a legend, love Friend of the show <laughs> um it's an easy get there early so you can watch all of the shit because stanley Kubrick, you know not my favorite filmmaker but very easy to appreciate (laughs) there's
1: a there's one um video screen with headphones showing an 80 minute documentary so yeah if you want to get all the (laughs) all the video footage in
0: was it the 80 minute? was it his daughter's one about the shining yeah that's really good though still worth watching you went to see spartacus recently yeah i watched spartacus which i'd never seen before yeah
1: really amazing yeah. <laughs> um obviously sort of dated all of his films are to a certain extent but that one especially being like a real hollywood backdrop, sure. sort
0: of For situation sure. yeah it, the kind it, of film they parody in hail caesar or exactly what? there's That's a lot basically. to love about spartacus though i think both the moments to uh, just make you cry and also you know Proto-socialism. This place. This shit took place. Yeah, I mean it's
1: a Trumbo-scripted <laughs> film. It would have been. It was
0: supposed to be directed by Anthony Mann, who's actually a director I like more than Stanley Kubrick.
1: What did he uh,
0: do? Man of the West, Winchester '73, The Naked Spur, The Man from Laramie. But he's mainly westerns. Yeah, they all got yeah. James Stewart in them as really, well. Yeah, they. real good. He did other ones. Wow. Well, they yeah. got a reissue of Doctor Strangelove out right now in UK cinemas. You're still listening to Film Greys. For the last segment of the show, this will be a recurring feature called The Best Film Ever Made. I call a lot of films The Best Film Ever Made and I'm very glad that, Sam, (laughs) you finally watched Mike Lee's TV film, Nuts in May.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, t- the term TV film, <laughs> even though TV films aren't really made anymore, no, no, not. Yeah, I mean, it was fucking hilarious. Right. Um, I watched it with uh, Shan and, uh, and my mum, and they both loved it as well. Uh, it's the story of two sort of campers, basically. Yeah, happy he, campers. Who go down to Dorset, uh, sort of get away from the hustle and bustle of <laughs> metropolitan life, and constantly
0: affronted by pe- people, yeah. Other people who yeah. also want to have a holiday. Keith Pratt and Candice Marie Pratt. <laughs> My favourite <laughs> screen couple.
1: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, the
0: the chemistry is great. Killed it. like
1: yeah, Such peculiar I characters. I yeah, well, exactly. The dialogue is just so
0: perfect
1: throughout the film.
0: I want to know if this was an early example of Mike Lee using his like technique, which is to devise the screenplay with the actors and do like loads of rehearsal, and then the dialogue comes more naturally, which is how he makes a lot of his films. But I don't know oh. if this was an early example <laughs> of that.
1: I mean, it could be that it's Mm. so um, well-constructed, though, and so the specificities of these characters are just... I mean, to be fair, Alison Sedman doesn't have that much to say throughout the film, mainly responding to the situation.
0: About when she says, Would you like to see this pebble?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for... For sure. I throughout though most of yeah. he plays like he's, a domineering husband. Keith so does he, the talking, he yeah. yeah well exactly he's um you know sort of narrating the landscape <laughs> to her the whole time and yeah it's just
0: hilarious. It's classic, yeah. isn't it? Like they meet a couple of other people on their travails.
1: Yeah, that I mean they go to a quarry. They have like a sort of schedule. Um, which he's loath to deviate from, mm. and um, they go, <laughs> they go to a quarry, yeah. which is basically just like, you know, at a sort of industrial site or mm. everything. It's just mm. like a dude, and uh, you know, the sort of naivety of the characters is yeah. just incredibly endearing, even when, yeah, well, just they want to get like, their poison
0: milk, but the the, the farmer can't <laughs> sell the unpasteurized milk, even though they can get it in their local farm shop. They want to buy, like, a dinosaur fossil, but it's just too heavy. And Keith says no, even though Candice Marie would have really loved... Oh, <laughs> me. As you referred
1: to, she sort of pilfers some, some pebbles from the beach and he chastises her about it. It's just, <laughs> like, the... <laughs> The, yeah, the
0: best character, film characterization I've seen in a long
1: time. Oh, though. I, I really
0: thought fucking it was love it. Really and the other characters as well. What's the guy called? Finger, the Brummy guy. Yeah. I think he's called Finger. And then Ray, of course. Who just These are fellow campers. They don't get on well with the Prats. No. <laughs> don't know whose fault that is. I guess you're...
1: Well, for sure. I mean, I, mean, I Keith, can... I
0: <laughs> spoiler can, alert, it's Keith's fault. <laughs> How about the influence on, like, Alan Partridge, Peep Show, these kind of things? Did
1: yeah, you, and...
0: Sightseers, obviously? Sightseers is yeah. obviously the big, the big filmic example. Like, that's why I watched but Nuts in May, when Sightseers came out. Being really much much. About it. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's quintessential British humour. Mm. It's not overt. It's just... Not, it's, you know, it's not even sarcastic, it's just about the way these characters interact is so hilarious. Yeah, the characters are um, just funny enough. It's just people saying trivial things. I wonder how it
0: plays with the It international... just seems incredibly
1: nat- natural. Kind of, yeah, yeah, well, for sure. But then again, a lot of these sitcoms that are, are influenced by this sort of thing are Absolutely. do have huge international followings. Well, true, sir. Um you know, on netty and stuff like that.
0: (laughs) This is really the, I think, like, an absolutely key text. Not only for, you know, the career of Mike Lee, who's been putting it down, making amazing Mm. film after film, often with Alison Sedman again,
1: yeah, I mean, I think in, they got in, married a couple of years before this came out. Right, okay. And, um, and See, then after that, they... They made did...
0: Abigail's party the year after, right? The yeah, character yeah, she like plays the... in that is literally the opposite kind of person as Candice Marie. It's unbelievable. That's why I think she's a great actress, you know?
1: Yeah, the, the sort of meekness of her character
0: in That's May is just perfectly pitched. Just hilarious, I think. <sighs> and the music is great. I want to say the fact that it's a TV film, the film that was screened on TV.
1: But it's 80 like an 80-minute
0: feature yeah. film. I think the fact that it was shown on Play for Today on the BBC... Also I mean, this of is... Scum fame. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Kathy Come Home, a couple of other classics. I think it was probably more widely seen... By virtue of the fact that it was shown on TV than if it had got mm. a cinematic release. Well, for sure, because it's a super
1: low-key film. Yeah. Nothing happens. There's not really a... I mean, the plot is they drive... <laughs> they, they, it starts there in their car, having a little sing song, they get to the camp. The film is just them being on holiday. It's, so it's really just about the characters, it's not about the story. Sightseers, for example, has a culmination of that, mm. you know, mm. of, of all the psychological build up. Mm. But this, it just carries on being. They just carry on their lives. Such as a they vibe. Are,
0: yeah. I'm so glad you watched it. Anyone who's listening, please check it out. I'm going to try and screen it. With Deep Into Movies, we're putting on. Life is Sweet, which is one of my favourite Mike Lee films, also with a brilliant performance from Alison Steadman. That's at Peckham Levels. I think it's on the fourteenth of June, I might be wrong. Come say what's up. Nuts in May, is it the greatest film ever made this week? Uh yeah, it's the greatest film ever made this week. Nice. <laughs> Next podcast we'll discuss another greatest film ever made. What's it gonna be? What's your greatest film ever made? <laughs> I have no idea, I don't know. Thanks very much for listening to Film Grace. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. With Sam and Emmett. You can check out Phil Graves' music online. Hopefully, no, definitely, there's going to be another instalment of this. Yeah, definitely, next week. Yeah, we'll talk about High Life. Yeah, I need to
1: watch it, yeah. but we'll... I'm super keen. Birds of Passage? Oh, fuck yeah, I, I need to watch that as well. One of those? Maybe it's we can... Festival uh... season last
0: year, film. Fuck a can preview. Maybe we'll talk about... Maybe we'll watch some... Straub Huyer film. Yes. I watched the 18 minute one that was on movie that was really cool. Oh, about, about Nazi. Sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was okay.
1: That
0: good. Yeah.
1: Maybe we'll hold off for until we actually know. Until we can watch like History Lessons and. Yeah, more stuff about them.
0: The yeah. movie season's going on for like a year. The whole summer. And also, they're <laughs> so also playing loads them. of their films at the BFI and the Close Up. Yeah. Classic. Uh, it's like London yeah. buses, you know, you yeah. wait for one. Straub Huyer <laughs> season three come along at once. I do have a theory though. Yes, please. I think it might be Strauss, and I think it might be that classic German B, you know, like the capital B at the end. That's actually two S's. Because in high life there was someone who was Straub, but it's like Strauss. Because, really? Yeah. That oh, big I haven't B seen the character. S. Maybe people are fucking up. Maybe it was. I thought Strauss. it was like strobe. Maybe again, just complete conjecture. I haven't looked this up. Because there.
1: French. French. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, in fact, what we're going to talk about next week is films of Louis Buñuel. Mm. Um, and so many contenders for the greatest film uh, the Yeah, I thought, um, you know, I thought most of them were in Spanish, ah,
0: uh-huh.
1: uh, because I've seen well, a lot um, of them. On yeah, but in uh, Spanish. Yeah, but really
0: the really good ones are all in French. <laughs> all right, <laughs> the until next one. Time. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for listening.